Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, a resource of Orchard Africa. The mission of Orchard Africa is to equip the church to care for the vulnerable. For three decades, a passionate community of churches, leaders, and donors have worked together to feed, educate, care for, and empower under-resourced communities in Southern Africa. To date, Orchard Africa and its partners have served over 10 million meals to families in need, cared for over 75,000 orphan children, and enrolled 8,000 children in high-quality early learning programs. All of this takes place through local African leaders to help communities move from survival to stability to sustainability. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, where we help you make a positive and sustainable difference in the lives of the most vulnerable in our world. My name is Brian Lemieux, and I'm the executive pastor of Orchard Africa, and I'm here with Mike and Michelle Tessendorf, the co-founders of Orchard Africa. Hi, everyone. Hello. Well, this is episode number 17 of the Orchard Podcast for the month of June 2022, and we are deep in the heart right now of mission season. And it's a busy time. It's very busy. We've had numbers of teams come through, and we've got great news uh, for those who are traveling um, back to the United States after being on a mission trip. And that is that there's no longer any testing required Yay! for COVID on the way back. So you don't have to get your nose swabbed oh, as the last thing that you do on your mission trip. Yeah, I think I've lost half my brain through all the swabbing. I think the people that deliberately wanted to get into my brain <laughs> some of those days. Yeah. They go so far. It's, it's it like must be really? in too deep. So... Um, yeah, that's that's good news, and uh, it is if you're good traveling, news. Um, things are a little bit easier mm. now. Yeah, yeah. Except well, flights are full and uh, busy, and so that's the downside <laughs> of things getting back to normal. Book early, yeah, book yeah. early on your book book early. Early. Yeah. yeah. Well, today we're going to be talking about um, a topic that's relevant to anyone who's in missions, really anyone who's in ministry. And it's this idea that um, no matter who we are, no matter where we serve, whether we are serving the vulnerable in South Africa or we're planting a church in Eastern Europe, all of us want to do the greatest amount of good as possible mm. to the greatest number of people as possible. That's right. Yeah. We want to make sure that what we do is actually good and that it's making a difference. And there's a, a lot of need. And so we want to make sure that as many people as within our capacity can can be reached, can be cared for, can be mm-hmm. um, encouraged. And to do that well takes two guiding principles. And that's what we're going to talk about today are those two principles. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there are two parts to serving our neighbor. Uh, part one is to do wrong to no man. And part two is to do good to all. Mm. To do wrong to no man and to do good to all. And those two must always go together. We can't separate them uh, because when we do, we find ourselves in imbalance. And so let's talk about that today. Um, I was thinking about the Ten Commandments uh, in the idea of all the do nots. We go do not, do not. And this idea of doing no harm uh, is what the Ten Commandments are all about. To not do harm to anybody is what those eight We've got eight do-nots represent. Mm. But then there's two that represent doing good. You don't do these eight and then do these two. Um, It's this idea of doing no harm 
and doing good. Mm. And those two, right from the get-go, have always gone together. Uh, it brings in that balance of um, serving one another and, and operating mm. with God's mm. heart. Mm. Because God's heart is to do no harm and to do good. Um, and in thinking about this, it kind of uh, reminded me of the Hippocratic Oath that doctors take, where first, do no harm. Uh, we can do good in the medical profession, but first, do no harm. <laughs> and so those two have to go together. And in our Christian practices and in our uh, Christian heart, those two should always go together, is do good, which we all know we should do and we strive to do, but first, do no harm. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it makes me think, and this might sound a little bit opposite to what you've just said, this whole idea of doing no harm and then also doing good. I think a lot of us console ourselves by thinking, well, as long as we do no harm, we're okay. Um, and we neglect the side of doing good. And uh, a passage of scripture that comes to mind is in Luke chapter 16. Um, I think it might be helpful just to read a couple of verses um, in verse 19. It's a story we know. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. Um, in my Christian experience, uh, most of the time when this passage is taught or read or discussed, somehow we get into the afterlife. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we kind of debate, well, who, 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 who makes it mm -hmm. and who doesn't? Um, what do I need to make, do to make sure that I'm one who gets where Lazarus was and not the one who gets to where the rich man was? And <clears throat> of course there's an afterlife, and of course we all should be concerned about our eternal destiny. But I think in focusing on the afterlife, um, it's so easy to neglect the life that is. And in this story, uh, there definitely was a life that is, and there was mm -hmm. a man who was... In trouble he was a beggar he was covered in sores the dogs were licking him and he was lying at the gate of this rich man uh, we have to assume it every day so every single day when the rich man came out of his house and went out on his business he would have passed this uh, beggar lying there um, it would seem from the story that he did no harm mm. we don't have an account of him chasing the man away or telling the dogs, well, don't just lick him, bite him. Um, he, he did nothing abusive or intentionally wrong to this poor man that was lying there. But yet, he also failed to do any good. And for me, the tragedy of focusing so much on the life that is to come is that we tend to neglect the plight of people in the life that now is. Mm -hmm. And it, it may sound harsh, but sometimes I think our attitude is, well, you may be living in hell on earth, but as long as you make it to heaven in the life that is to come, we're good. 
mm-hmm. and we think we've kind of done our job if we make sure that they're going to make it to heaven or eternity mm-hmm. with, with Jesus. And uh, if, if I had to sum up this, this rich man's failure, it was indifference. He wasn't guilty of doing any harm, but he certainly was guilty of being indifferent. Right. And to me, that's such a tragedy in, in the lives of so many uh, people who desperately want to seek God and, 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 and serve people um, in thinking as long as we don't do harm to anybody, well, then we being examples of Christian love. Right. But Christian love goes further than that. Christian harm steps out of indifference mm. and says, what can I do to do good? Mm. Yeah, I think there's this assumption that if I don't do any harm, that good is happening. Mm. Right. And I don't think we think through the fact that doing nothing is is harmful. And you have to have both intention. I really like this mm-hmm. idea. It's like two sides of the same coin. That yes. you can't you can't have one without the other. Mm. And if you focus only on on the other side, only on doing good, finding ways to make an impact, doing good, doing good, doing good, and neglect thinking through the harm that I might be, be causing, then, then really it's a ministry that's reckless. Right. I think we forget that there's this uh, direct doing harm, but there's indirect doing harm. And this idea of um, indifference, mm. there can be uh, indirectly we're doing harm. Um, and I think we all do that in in our life where we indirectly, we, we're so busy leading our lives, we're so busy doing things that we, we neglect to stop and examine what uh, we're doing indirectly that is causing mm-hmm. harm. Mm-hmm. It could be in something as simple as um, the organizations that we support, the people that we follow on social media, uh, the the things we watch on television, where indirectly we're causing harm. We're not the ones that are uh, doing the harm directly, but indirectly by supporting people or organizations that are doing harm. We're part of that system. Mm. We're part of that process. Mm. And uh, it's that double-sided coin Mm -hmm. where we do need to do good but also do no harm. Mm. And uh, it can slip into all of our lives. There are times when I've had to sit back and, and look at my social media account and go, why am I following this organization mm. or this person and uh, do an audit and unfollow? Mm. Uh, th- that's know, a simple example. You know, I think sometimes doing no harm is harder Yes. than doing good. Sometimes doing good... We see it in front of us. We take the step and we do it. But mm. you maybe have to be more um, informed and intentional in making sure that you're not doing harm. Right. Sometimes right. that's harder to see initially. Mm. Like like you mentioned, who we're following on social media or what we're clicking on or fill in the blank. Exactly. You know, a simple example for ex- would be uh, not standing up to a bully we can possibly see somebody else is being bullied and think, well, I'm not the bully. 
but not standing up to that bully on behalf of somebody else who's weaker would be doing harm mm. indirectly mm. by just ignoring mm. it. Mm. Uh, walking on the other side of the road, we back to the Good Samaritan story where, hey, the Levite didn't do harm directly. Indirectly, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's that well-known phrase that is quoted so often um, which says uh, for evil to triumph all that's necessary is for good men to do nothing exactly um, and it's so easy to do nothing and console ourselves that as long as we're not doing harm mm-hmm. we're, we're okay when actually I mean, if we go back to this, this rich man I mean the easiest thing in the world for him would have been to just stop and say to the guy what's your name mm-hmm. um do you have family? What happened to you that caused you to end up being a beggar? And, and not necessarily, you know, dishing out all kinds of good things to the man. Just, just not doing nothing. Mm. Acknowledging just him. Acknowledging, right, right. Just mm-hmm. engaging at, at at some level that this is this is a person just like I'm a person. And if we look at people who are vulnerable, people who are marginalized, people who are in desperate need, every single one of those people are people who Jesus gave his life for. Mm. And as followers of Jesus, surely we have a responsibility to not do nothing. Right. When Jesus spoke about the kingdom that has come, Mm. it has come to everyone. Mm. And it's um, not exclusive it is available to the most vulnerable amongst right. us is God's kingdom, this kingdom of goodness and kindness and a kingdom where um, we do no harm. Mm. We don't only practice good, but mm. we do no harm. Mm. One of the things that you mentioned, just that idea of acknowledging, sometimes it's a simple step. You don't have to start a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to plant right. a church right. to mm-hmm. do good. Sometimes mm. it's it's the simple. Yes. It's the things that uh, we could do in a moment mm. right. that is also doing good mm. without having to uh, have a, a business plan or a ministry plan and a five-point strategy. And it's just the way that mm. we live our lives. Exactly. You know, we've been talking uh, throughout this year about that idea of being repairers of the breach. And... Uh, f- If that's a new phrase to a new listener, I would highly recommend that that listener go back and listen to some of the podcasts about being repairers of the breach. And uh, at Orchard Africa, we truly believe that we are called to be repairers of the breach. But oftentimes uh, we think in terms of what you just said, these great big, I've got to start a nonprofit, I've got to go uh, sacrifice my life and go off to China Mm. or whatever the, the big thing might be. But I think that in everyday life, in society, there's little tears that happen, little tears in people's lives on a daily basis. And, you know, there's that saying about a stitch in time that saves nine. Mm. Uh, We're called to repair even the little breaches, Mm. the day-to-day things that we do. Uh, I think we need to embrace that as part of a lifestyle, Mm. is find those little tears and how can I... Uh, stitch up this tear in somebody else's life or in my own life um, as being a repairer of the breach it doesn't have to be well off I go mm. as you said to start this huge right. big thing right it's little mm. little acts of kindness uh, not ignoring somebody 
looking at what am I looking at on social media, mm. uh, little ways in which we stitch up those, uh, those tears in society. And I think it makes all the difference. It makes a big, big difference when we live our lives with that thought in mind. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those of you who've ever been to South Africa and maybe traveled to countries where um, <coughs> there's a lot of underdevelopment, uh, one of the things we see in, in, in South Africa is that every traffic light, uh, people in the street begging, and they'll have a little cup or cap or something, and they're obviously yeah. wanting people who stopped at the traffic light to give their money. Um, one of the news channels did a investigation of these people. Why are they there? What are they doing? How's it going? Are they getting helped, etc.? And I, I remember one of the guys that they interviewed made a statement, and he said, you know, I don't expect everybody that stops to give me money, but what I do not like is when I'm just ignored. He said, you don't have to give me anything, but at least just look at me. Mm-hmm. Look me in the eye and say, I'm sorry. And it's just this principle of engaging and not starting a nonprofit, but simply just looking at somebody in the eye and saying, hello, or I'm sorry, I can't. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, and you know, I've heard people in South Africa say, yeah, but you can't look the guy in the eye because once you make eye contact, you can't, <laughs> you know, the, the person won't go away. And my thought in all of that is, well, you're stuck at a, at a red traffic light. You're not going anywhere. So how much effort does it take to just smile at the guy and say, I, I love what you're selling. It's beautiful. I don't need it today. Thanks. Mm. Engaging. While you, I mean, once the, the the traffic light turns green, you're on your way. The guy's not going <laughs> to run after you. So, you know that that idea of eye contact and engagement. Can you, I think can you give a moment? Just a moment yeah, of you your time. And that's, and that's doing do no that. harm. That's all of doing us can no do that. harm. Right. right. But sitting there with your face straight ahead of you and refusing to acknowledge <laughs> the person's prayers. Yeah, it yeah. makes me think of uh, back in Isaiah 58, where uh, it says, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Mm. Mm. Yes. And that's a literal example of that, that when there's mm. someone in need, not to hide yourself uh, in the support beam of the car. You try to line yeah. it up so you <laughs> that beam is in the way, uh, but yeah. to make yourself available. Right. And present. Mm. Mm. I love Isaiah 58 so much that we've been studying this year. There's so much in it. Mm. Um, absolutely. You know, it makes me think of uh, my son. When uh, he was little, we'd play hide-and-go-seek. And he was three or four years old and didn't really understand the rules of hide-and-go-seek. So when it was <laughs> time for him to hide, uh, he would go hide, but... He didn't know that hiding meant you, you had to be quiet. <laughs> yep. And so inevitably, uh, we'd be looking for him, and we would um, end up in the room that he was hiding in, and he was probably not a great hider either, so <laughs> we all saw him. But he, he couldn't stay hidden. Mm. And so you'd, you'd hear this little voice saying, Here I am. <laughs> I'm here. Here I am. <laughs> and uh, so he never, never won hide-and-go-seek, but... Nope. But I think that's an interesting idea mm. when we think of the book of Isaiah when mm. 
really Isaiah's story begins with this statement, here I am, when God was saying, well, who's, who's going to mm. go? Mm. And who's available to bring a word to uh, a nation of people who'd lost their way? Right. And Isaiah, in this moment of being called, he said to God, here I am. Mm. And it was in that moment that God empowered him to then be present with the people and directly led to him being the here I am or I am here to the people. Right, right. And so here, you know, later, much later in Isaiah, he's, he's saying the same idea that we need to not hide. We need to say that here I am. And I love be that. Present. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think those words are probably th- three of the most powerful words that every single one of us have at our disposal all the time. Here I am, or I am here. Mm. It's just a simple act of engaging, a simple act of saying, I am present. And whatever else happens after that, I don't think is as important as saying, I acknowledge you, Mm -hmm. I'm here, I recognize you. And when somebody is, is, is vulnerable or in, in a desperate situation, I think simply being acknowledged, simply being recognized as a fellow human being has far more power than any of us could ever imagine. Because largely, the poor and the desperate and the marginalized and the suffering are ignored. And I think they go through life feeling ignored. But when mm. somebody like Isaiah or somebody like your son says, and yeah. I'm here. Mm. What a difference right. that makes in the life of even if it's just one person. And isn't that what Jesus did? Absolutely. He came yeah. and he said, I'm here. Right. I'm here. My mm. kingdom is here, mm. um, which I love. You know, I, I'm busy reading this uh, scripture here in Deuteronomy in, in the notes that we made. And God instructed people in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It says um, not to walk past a neighbor's donkey that was in distress. And I was thinking of this idea that you said of ignoring people. Sometimes we ignore their plight. Yeah, it is that a neighbor's donkey was in distress. Mm. Mm. And we are not to ignore that. Mm. Because by ignoring the donkey that's in distress, we're causing harm to our neighbor because we know that that's going to, in some way, distress the neighbor. Or it talks, uh, it says to, uh, if we fail to pick up an item that was lost by a neighbor and return it to them, it's, it's doing harm. Neglect. It's absolute neglect. Yeah. And uh, scripture talks about that. You are not to neglect them. Um, whether we're neglecting their personhood or neglecting the circumstances that they find themselves in, mm. um, that is doing harm. Mm. Neglect is harm. And we see that even in, in every social service around the world will say that if a parent neglects a child, they're doing harm. Mm. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it has deep, deep consequences in a person's life when we neglect our neighbors. Mm. Um, and it, it comes back to that story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, speaking of donkeys, it, it <laughs> made me think about the following, where the Good Samaritan uh, story says that he took the man and put him on his own donkey. And so I was thinking about 
that whole idea of the donkey. This guy went on a long journey, just like the Good Samaritan. So if the Good Samaritan had a donkey, it's very plausible that this guy also had a donkey because we remember the thieves came and took something from him. So he was carrying something that they thought of uh, was worth taking. Mm. Uh, it's plausible that he also had a donkey that was carrying mm. whatever goods it was that he was taking yep. from one city to the next. Yep. Mm. And in that phrase of he, he put him on his own donkey, it was a case of restoration. In my mind, I saw the man possibly had a donkey and he was then put back on a donkey, even just for a while, to get to his destination where he was going. And I think that that's part of this idea of not doing harm as well as doing good, is if somebody, something is taken from somebody or they've, uh, they don't have this anymore, how do we restore that, even momentarily? How do we give them back that dignity that they did have it and now they don't? And it makes me think about the terrible refugee crisis in our world right now, where people's homes and countries and ways of life and mm. all of that, that they've lost. They had it, and mm. now it's gone. How do we as Christians respond to that? How do we as churches respond to that? Uh, do we do no harm by saying, well, I empathize and I sympathize and I'm so sorry and I won't yell at you when I see you as a refugee or a stranger. Or do we do something? How do we help restore what they've lost? Mm. How do we uh, put them back on their donkey, even if it's our own donkey for a yeah. while? Yeah. Where we say, hey, I have a donkey. Yeah, mm. for a little while, use my donkey yeah. and give back that dignity yeah. that what they've lost yeah I, th I th think of uh, the, the story of the good samaritan this man lying there on the side of the road half dead mm. Mm. and two people who are religious leaders walk past him i would think in his desperateness he must have thought well yay yes somebody who can help me and the first guy passes by and it happens again. And I, 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 I try and picture what was going through this, this poor guy's mind as he's lying there mm. dying and is ignored by two people who, it, by all intent, should have done something to help him. And then the Samaritan comes along, and I, I, I love the, the words of Scripture. It says he saw him. Mm, there I am. Mm. And went to him. Acknowledged him. Yeah. Mm. Went to him. Mm. Yes. Uh, took some steps of, well, I'm not just going to not do harm by taking anything that's left, <laughs> mm. but I'm going to do something. I'm going to go to him and the restoration of the donkey and mm. I'm present. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, getting back to those uh, religious leaders, I'm quite sure if one had to interview them after the fact, they would have very valid reasons why they ignored the guy. Well, he was bleeding and I can't touch that. It would make me unclean. Mm. And therefore, in my holiness, I couldn't do anything about it. And so often we do that, that idea of justifying <coughs> why we should just ignore the situation mm. um, because it's going to cause some kind of 
mm. upset in my Christian life or whatever, mm. but we try and justify ourselves, mm. just like those religious leaders, I'm certain, had justification mm. for why mm. they didn't do that. It makes me think of uh, that last chapter in the book of Galatians, where Paul says, do not grow weary in mm. doing good. Mm. And sometimes we do. We, we grow weary and we neglect to do good. And, and I think one of the reasons that we grow weary in doing good is that we, we don't see the change happening fast enough. We love uh, quick fixes and instant mm. change. And when it doesn't happen fast enough, we're discouraged whether we're in the mission field or we're you know here in the United States trying to trying to do good and getting over the weariness of doing good and how do we restore the energy and the supernatural passion mm. to to do good and uh makes me think of um what it takes to to run i i uh i'm an endurance runner mike i know you You've uh, you've run a lot of races too in your day and um, yeah, in the day is right. <laughs> you, you ran an ultra run. Yep. I mean, a very very long run. And sometimes in those very long runs, uh, you may not be the racer. So you may not be the person going the hundred miles in these ultra runs. That you, maybe you don't have the time to to go through the whole race. Maybe you're not the racer, but you can be the pacer. And actually, in those runs you can have somebody come and run with you mm. for a time to encourage you, to give you strength, to keep the pace. Mm -hmm. But then that person falls back and then maybe even another pacer jumps in and helps them. And sometimes the person who's in the field, they're the racer, they're, they're the long term. Mm -hmm. They're able to see the whole course. Um, but maybe that's not a capacity that you have or a time that you have, but God has called you to be a, a pacer and to encourage. And it makes me think of the mission trips that we, we do, that we send teams I love that. who are pacers, that yes. they work alongside the pastors who are doing the long run mm. of, of caring for the community. Mm. And so sometimes if we can see our role differently, mm. that uh, the amount of time that we give to encourage somebody in that long race, uh, we won't get so weary because we see the bigger, grander, grander picture of it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and I like that idea of encouragement. I do know, Mike, that in your ultramarathon running, uh, you mentioned uh, what helped you with people on the sidelines encouraging, uh, saying you can do it, keep going. Um, and I love that analogy that you've used where short-term missions is exactly that. Uh, somebody going on a short-term mission is not going to make huge changes to uh, systemic problems in a country, but they certainly are going to encourage those who are in the problems long term. Mm. Um, they're the ones on the sideline saying, hey, here I am, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, how can we help you? What can we do? How can we support? I love that analogy, absolutely. And we can all do that mm -hmm. every day. Well, for me, I mean, it was a 55-mile uh, marathon that mm. I ran. And for most of those 55 miles, there were people along the side of the road. I mean, thousands and thousands of people. This, this was one of the major sporting events in the country. And everybody in the surrounding towns and, 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 and communities would come out and 
camp alongside and there'd be hmm. all kinds of things going on on the side of the road. But for me, the hardest part of that marathon was in the stretches where for whatever reason people could not get to. And so it was just you and... And yourself. <laughs> no, nobody saying, keep going. Nobody handing you a banana or dishing out a, a wet sponge. Or, but when there were people alongside... Uh, whether they are mm. pacers or whether they are just encouragers, but people being present, mm. yeah, that encouraged me to keep going. And I mean, my goal was just to finish. <laughs> I wasn't really too concerned. There was a there was a time cut off, and so obviously that was the goal. But as long as I knew that there were people that were inter interested enough in me, mm. being encouraged to finish, it helped me to mm. not get weary. Mm. Right, mm. right. Sometimes that ability. To do the greatest good possible is something we have to do together. We, yeah. If we always try to do it alone and in isolation, mm -hmm. we will grow, grow weary. Right. But when we we do it as a team and we see right. our role and other people's roles, right, we can do greater good. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do we intentionally build both of these into our personal lives and then into our ministry and church life? This idea of doing no harm and doing good. Some ideas as we wrap up. I think for me, and I think it kind of ties a lot of what we've been saying, is we should be ready to be proactive, uh, to take the initiative. Um, the scriptural example for me is always that God so loved the world that he gave. It didn't stop with the fact that he so loved the world. And to just be illustrative, and God could have sat in heaven and looked down on <coughs> his creation and said, I love you, I care for you, and just so you know, my face is shining upon you, hope you make it, <laughs> kind good, of. Good luck. Yeah. 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 Um, and he did all those things, but in addition to that, he acted, mm -hmm. he gave his son, and his son came and said these words, I came to seek and to save. In other words, I'm not going to just stand by and watch. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to take the initiative to find those who need me and then to respond with what they need. Mm -hmm. And so for me, practically, that's something we can do is, is constantly be aware, constantly be seeking. Is there somebody that I could just be present with? Mm. Is there somebody I could just respond to? Mm. And not necessarily a, a massive way, but just be present. Okay, so the ministry of presence, presence. is very mm. real. Presence. Mm. And that's something we can all do. Right. All of us can get closer to somebody who is marginalized. Yeah. Another thought that comes to mind is being sober-minded about who we're filtering out. When we think about this overflow of information and filtering, we all the mm. time are we're filtering content. We yeah. only want to see certain things. And so since we can't see it all, we yeah. narrow it down. And in the same way, sometimes we can have blinders on and we filter out those who have need around us. And we hide in our homes and mm. watching Netflix and in mm. our own news websites that uh, kind of tell the story that we we want mm. to hear and and i think that um being able to look in places that we haven't looked before 
yeah. and to see people we haven't seen before. It takes going places you haven't gone before. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if you always go to the same places you've ever, always been, you're never going to see people mm. uh, who have need or who are different than you. And right. so sometimes you got to drive into a neighborhood that's different than mm. the one that you live in. Mm. Yeah. And being, you know, back to your, your word, Micah, being intentional. Very good. I, I think uh, fr from my side, I'm thinking of the days of apartheid in South Africa, where many people would say, well, uh, the domestic worker in my home who is a black woman, I do not yell at her, I don't shout at her, I pay her regularly at the end of the month or whenever. I'm not doing any harm. But that same person would vote for the apartheid government when it was time to vote. Mm. Um, and so for me, that was an indication of uh, indirectly doing harm because the system benefited that person. Mm. As a white person, the system uh, benefited me. And if I keep voting for that system in, with apartheid, I am indirectly doing harm to the domestic worker in my home because the system mm -hmm. did not benefit mm -hmm. her in any way. Right. And so I think sometimes uh, practical ways that we personally and even in our churches is to look at the systems around us and in what way are we benefiting from it at the expense of somebody else. Mm, There's nothing good. wrong with benefiting from a system. But if it's at the expense of somebody else, then I'm doing harm. Right. And the scripture's clear, do no harm and do good. Both of them, mm. it's not an either or, it's both. Mm. Yes. Um, and the, let us as individuals and as churches uh, be aware of what are ways in which I'm benefiting at the expense of somebody else, as was in South Africa with the apartheid system. Mm. I think that's a great point because there, there are times when we might not directly be able to do good to an individual or a group of people who are in need. But we can do something about the system that's causing them to be in those circumstances. Mm. And I think that's as much of our responsibility to be mm. proactive and to take the initiative and to seek out what can we do to change what's causing the problem. Even if we can't fix the problem, we can do something positive to change the cause of it. Right. Mm. And to me, that's being proactive. And to me, that's mm. not only doing good, mm. but it's also mm. delivering us from being indifferent and mm. doing no harm. That idea of standing up to the bully. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah, sometimes the, the biggest impact we can make lives in the tension mm. and both sides of that coin. And uh, if you have one and they exclude the other, if you're only thinking about doing good and you exclude the other, you're not doing good. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if you think, you know, I, I'm not doing anything wrong and I'm trying to make sure I don't harm anybody, but you don't really do anything, you're actually harming. So holding both of those intention is, is key. And so as ministry leaders or as mission directors, as people just want to make an impact in the world, we have to hold those intention and look through both of those lenses. Absolutely. So we, we hope it's been helpful today to be able to um, give you some uh, new lenses to look through when you're thinking about the impact that you can make. So good place to stop, a uh, lot to think about, and um, thanks everybody for for tuning yeah. in and listening in to the Orchard Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, thank thanks you. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.